Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie. Now, it's been a while since I've talked about the members-only episodes. You might recall that this show is entirely supported by members, and as a result, I produce extra episodes and release them to the members who support the show. So right now, you might have noticed that there's a show called Vikings on the History Channel. If you follow the community on Facebook, you're probably also aware of how fast and loose the History Channel is approaching their subject matter. But regardless of how I feel about the History Channel, I'm looking at you, ancient aliens, I can't deny the fact that Vikings are this year's sparkly vampires. It seems like everybody's talking about them. And at least this time, I can understand why. Anyway, there's a point to this. Vikings. So over on the members-only show, we've been having a series of interviews with an expert on the Viking settlement up in York, or Jorvik, as they would have called it. It's a lot of fun, and I think it's a good primer for when we eventually get to the Great Heathen Army, which I'm very excited about. So that's what's going on over at the Members Only Show, and if you're interested in becoming a member and supporting the podcast, as well as getting the extra Viking episodes, among other things, you can sign up over at thebritishhistorypodcast.com for roughly the price of one latte per month. Okay, so when we left off, Ida had become the king of Bernicia, and we had the beginnings of regional cultural groups. These groups were the result of a whole host of influences, including everything from geographical features to political decisions to things as simple as wealth and a sense of cool. But the point is that we've gone from an island that saw itself essentially as Roman to post-Roman or sub-Roman, depending on what terminology you choose to use, where the system had broken down and while you had some communities living in hill forts, you still had some level of continuation of the local culture. And then we got fully into the migration period, where we had a blend of different cultural groupings all over the eastern part of the island. And now we're finally getting to the point where those disparate pockets were starting to take the shape of larger communities, with cultures that were distinct and separate from the sub-Roman culture, as well as the cultures of the Germanic tribes where the settlers would have come from. And within that melting pot, we've seen the rise of the West Saxons, with Cherdich and his son Chinerich engaging in sporadic outbursts of violence. We've seen a massive year-and-a-half-long dust cloud from unknown origins, maybe volcanic or maybe the result of an impact from space, followed by a cold spell that lasted for about a decade. And to make matters worse, it was followed by the spread of a plague, and that plague was probably the bubonic plague. And of course, those events occurred right around the time of the end of the so-called Gildasian peace. So much like we've seen in other eras, it looks like things are going to take a violent turn when these natural disasters, biological and climate-related, strike. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the violence of the growing kingdoms and set the stage for the introduction of another era of Bretwaldas. You might remember that the potentially mythical founder of the House of Wessex, Churditch, really didn't fight too much. He seemed more like a farmer than a war leader. Well, according to the record... He died a couple years before that big dust cloud incident, and his son, Chinerich, took over, along with Stuff and Wickgar ruling over the Isle of Wight. And then the dust cloud and the plague struck, and Wickgar died four years later. But despite the likely terrible conditions, we really don't see the West Saxons getting involved in a lot of fights right away. Now, as I cautioned you before, we can't trust these records 100%. They're not unbiased. And they're not particularly good with accurately recording dates, either. But it looks like about 12 years passed, following the plague, before we hear of the West Saxons getting into any sort of serious fight. Considering that during those years, you've got a climatic change that probably would have impacted the growth of their crops, 
And we've seen that that can lead to violence. And we know that there was some shuffling of power structures elsewhere on the island, such as in Bernicia. That lack of violence in Wessex seems a little odd, doesn't it? So what gives? Well, as with most of this period, we're not told too much. But I'm tempted to hazard a few guesses. If the West Saxons were hit by the plague, and they were in close proximity with Kent, who were certainly involved with close trade connections with, at the very least, Francia, so a southern spread of the plague from the continent does seem quite likely thanks to those connections, I could imagine that they might have wanted to avoid any serious sort of engagement, since many of their fighters could have been either killed or at least put out of commission by the illness. So that's one possibility that comes to mind. But it's also possible that they were involved in fights, but they didn't record it because those fights didn't go too well. Don't forget that this record was written, most likely, for Alfred, so the scribes probably weren't enthusiastic about reminding Alfred of the losses of his family. So maybe there was some level of censorship going on there. Or maybe there just wasn't any reason to fight. Or Chinnerich might have preferred to avoid conflict at that stage of his life. Or any number of other reasons. We can't say for certain. But regardless, we have the passage of 12 years, and then we're told in 552, Chinnerich fought the Brits at Sarum. Now this is important because it marks the beginning of West Saxon expansion towards the west. Going westward was probably a pretty good idea, since to the east you had Kent. And while we haven't heard too much about Kent other than Hengist and Oisk establishing their rule there, we're going to hear a lot more about them soon. They were no pushovers and the West Saxons might not have had the martial ability to be able to tangle with them just yet. Also, they were at least culturally connected to the migrant settlers. I can imagine that given the option between fighting the Britons or fighting their Kentish neighbors, who shared more in common with them being that they were also culturally Anglo-Saxon, it probably seemed like the Britons were the obvious choice. So the West Saxons went west. And they were successful. Four years later, we're told that Chinnerich and his son Chalin fought the Brits at Barbary Castle, which is about five miles south of Swindon. So for those of you following along with a map, this has expanded the border of Wessex about 30 miles north and was also pushing their borders west of the lands already held by them, meaning that they were going ever closer to Wales, which of course wasn't called Wales yet. Close listeners probably also noticed something else significant about the fight in 556. It included Chalin, son of Chinnerich, who would later become one of Bede's seven Bretwaldas. And we're going to be hearing a lot more about him as we go forward. So the West Saxons were on the move, pushing their advantage on their Western neighbors. And while we don't have an account from the perspective of the Britons, I doubt it was very much appreciated. But at last, we're at the Age of Kings where we have these war leaders pulling together communities into a larger network, sometimes through politics and culture, and sometimes through force. And speaking of these kings, what was going on up in the north? Remember, we had King Ida ruling up in Bernicia. Well, in 559, after a rule of 12 years, Ida croaked. Did he die of old age? Was he murdered? Did he trip over the family dog and hit his head? We'll probably never know. But it seems like following his death, things didn't go too well. I say it seems because the record isn't entirely clear, but it looks like Bernicia went through kings at an uncomfortably quick pace. However, as luck would have it, Ida did have a lot of sons. So things seemed like they were a bit rough in the north during this period. 
And that was probably not helped by the fact that relations with the local British kingdoms also don't appear to have been particularly friendly. However, you have to keep in mind the chaos of the era. And so while kings undoubtedly died due to illness or old age or battles with neighboring British kingdoms, there might have been another cause as well. Dynastic struggles. I mean, while we're starting to see the solidification of the class structure, things weren't firmly in place yet. There was still room for movement. And if you were in a position to be displaced, you probably should watch your back. Honestly, I really wish we knew more about the story that was going on up there. Because given the shifts in power, I do wonder if we have another loving family relationship like the one between Caracalla and Gaeta. But unfortunately, we only get hints of what was going on in Bernicia, and those hints aren't exactly the most reliable, so we're only left to guess. But something else to keep in mind is, if there were dynastic struggles, these kings didn't rule alone. They had a power structure that supported them, and that was also reliant upon them. At the very least, their warbands were tied to them closely, but chances are there were many more people in the community that were tied to the fortunes of these powerful men. So if these changes in leadership did occur, and they were the result of dynastic issues, which is a lot of ifs in the case of post-Ida Bernicia, but we'll see that it will become more common in Britain than anyone wanted later on. Well, in that case, it probably wasn't just the ruling classes jockeying for power. There were probably people on other levels of the class structure getting sucked into the chaos and either being elevated or crushed through the political fortunes of their superiors. So these changes in leadership could well have been pretty awful for quite a lot of the community. But anyway, Ida was dead, and Bernicia needed a king. So the first up in this Bernician change of power is Glapa, son of Ida, we think. This is an incredibly cloudy area of history, and not all the sources reference Glapa. But if he did succeed his father and take the throne, he didn't last too long and was soon replaced by his brother, Ada, probably within a year or even less. Now, as for Ada, not a ton is known about him, but there's some thought that Ada might have been involved in some level of conflict with the neighboring Britons, with some arguing that he fought and killed two British kings at the Battle of Caragru. We're also told that he ruled for eight years after Ida, which again indicates that if Glapa did rule, he didn't last very long. And then, after eight years, Ada was succeeded by his brother, Athelric. We're not told exactly what happened to Ada, but chances are, if he was succeeded by his brother, he was either killed or chucked into a monastery, would be my guess. So life in the north wasn't exactly placid at this point in history. But let's head back down south and check in with the men of Kent and the West Saxons. So right around the same time that Ada might have become king of Bernicia, so around 560, Chalin succeeded his father, Chinerich, and became king of the West Saxons. Also, over in Kent, Athelbert became king of, predictably, Kent at around the same time. So there's a great deal of power being shuffled around at this point, and Chalin and Athelbert will become familiar names as we continue in this story. Now I should point out that, like with much of this period, the life of Chalin isn't exactly clear. For example, the sources conflict with each other regarding how long his reign was, among other things. Here, I'll give you an example. It seems like Chalin had at least one son, Cuthwine. But he probably had another son as well, Cutha. Though Cutha might have been the son of Cuthwine, and thus Chalin's grandson. But here's another wrinkle. Cutha is also listed as Chalin's brother. Though who knows if it was the same Cutha. Dark Ages, right? 
Isn't it fun? Actually, let me check in with you. Is your head spinning right now? Are you utterly lost and yearning for the simple days where we were talking about food and booze? I feel ya, but this is all part of our story, and there's some serious drama that we're going to find in here. So you really should stick with it, and I am going to make it as easy as I can for you. To that end, I'm putting together family trees, and we'll be hosting them on my site, thebritishhistorypodcast.com, so that way you can follow along and piece this together with me. And maybe you can help me figure out how, if the scribes were accurate, Cutha could have been Chalin's brother, son, and grandson. I'm guessing it would have had to involve some rather creepy marriages. Anyway, so Chalin, why are we talking about him? Well, because he was a bit of a heavyweight in his own right, and, as I said earlier, Bede would later list him as one of the seven Bretwaldas, which translates to Britain rulers. The first of the Bretwaldas was Alla of the South Saxons, you might recall. He was the guy who might have died at the Battle of Mons Badonicus. And then we didn't have any Bretwaldas for quite a while, until Chalin. So just on the face of it, just because he's listed as a Bretwalda, he's sort of required reading. But there's another reason why we're talking about Chalin. And that's just sheer bias on my part. You see, the thing is that his name doesn't sound Germanic. Just like Churdich, Chalin's name sounds British. Which, just like Churdich again, raises all sorts of interesting possibilities. Was he part British, for example? Did Chinnerich marry a local British lady and then they gave their son a British name? Was this an indication of the cultural overlap between the West Saxons and the British that persisted in the West Saxon ruling classes? Or was this just a name and we're reading too much into it? That last one is the least sexy, but it could well be the answer. But I do love these shadowy areas of history and the possibilities they open up. Anyway, so we have Chalin ruling over the West Saxons, and we know he's going to be a great man, a Bretwalda, someday. And his path has already sort of been laid out for him by Chinnerich. Expand and conquer new territories for Wessex. So you can guess how his life is going to play out. The other character I mentioned who succeeded the throne at the same time as Chalin was Athelbert of Kent. And Athelbert is the third of the Bretwaldas, so he's also a heavyweight. And Athelbert, according to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, was born in 552, the same year that we're told Chinnerich of Wessex fought the British at Sarum. So that means that he was only eight years old when he took the throne. Obviously, this could be wildly incorrect. We've already covered many times how these sources are with dates, so take it with a grain of salt. But if these dates are correct, think about what they tell us about the state of the ruling classes of Kent. It wasn't too long ago that we're talking about how wealth and signs of power were centralized around powerful individuals. And then, eventually, we reached a point where entire families started to show those signs, which signaled to us that we had enough concentrated wealth to allow for the beginnings of dynasties. Well, now in Kent, we might have indications of a king ruling as a minor. That's huge. At least in Kent, if these dates are correct, we are no longer in a strongman position, but rather now it really is the lineage, rather than anything specific about an individual, that grants the right to rule. If Athelbert was ruling at eight years old, things have changed dramatically in just over a hundred years. Now that being said... The dates are all sorts of strange. For example, depending on the source you're relying upon, it's possible that Athelbert married Bertha, the daughter of Cheribert, king of the Franks, prior to his eighth birthday. 
since he was married prior to becoming a king. And that does seem rather unlikely. I mean, maybe it was a betrothal, but I doubt it. However, the source regarding that marriage is Gregory of Tours, and Greg doesn't seem to be very good with dates, so we also have to take it with a grain of salt. So I guess the point is that it's possible that there was an eight-year-old king of Kent in 560. But it is just a possibility. The facts are a little bit confusing on this one, and they also seem to be at least a little bit inaccurate, at least in some of the areas. But regardless, now we have Athelbert ruling in Kent. Now, to keep you up with what was going on on the island, three years later, we have St. Columba traveling from Ireland to Scotland to spread Christianity. You'll recall that Ireland was now Christian thanks to the efforts of St. Patrick and others. And round about this time, he visited the court of the Pictish king, King Bridey. This, of course, will be covered in a future Scott cast, and I might actually chat a little bit about the various saints we have, including Columba. But for right now, what we have is the reintroduction of Christianity from Ireland to Scotland. So that should give you an idea of what's going on elsewhere on the island. And things are changing elsewhere on the island as well. In Bernicia in 568, we're told that King Adda ended his reign and that his brother, Athelric, took up the mantle. It seems like the local British kingdoms were fully sick of Bernicia. And during Athelric's reign, there were a number of battles against the Brits, with the majority of those battles finding the Bernicians on the defensive. So it's possible that Adda's rule came to an untimely end due to a battle with their clearly displeased neighbors. But again, that's all speculation. And we don't really know what was going on up there other than the fact that they were losing the sons of Ida fast and furious. And of course, these aren't the only kingdoms going at this time. Our records are just a bit dodgy. We're going to start hearing about more and more kingdoms as we go forward. But if we can trust the record, Daria was up and running at this point, And Mercia was probably already becoming a kingdom as well, if Creota really existed. And of course, there were British kingdoms as well. Though our records regarding those kingdoms is even more spotty. But the fact of the matter is that things on the island were rapidly changing. Not just in Bernicia, Kent, and Wessex. Things were changing everywhere. Anyway, back down to the south. Now, you'll recall that earlier in this episode, I was talking about how the West Saxons under Chinnerich were moving north and west, what with their fights at Charford and Sarum and Barbary. The West Saxons were becoming a power in the south, but now Chalin had issues with his eastern flank, with Kent. The thing is that we see evidence that Athelbert intended to build upon his power base, and given that the king of the Franks was willing to marry one of his daughters to Athelbert, Kent was clearly a force to be reckoned with. So we have two neighboring kingdoms, growing in power and led by ambitious kings who were both destined to carry the title of Bretwalda. It probably seems inevitable that, despite the fact that there were probably still sub-Roman communities to pick on, we're going to have an outbreak of violence between these two ostensibly Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. And that, in fact, will happen next week. Yep, next week we're going to have Anglo-Saxon on Anglo-Saxon action. So buckle up. Now, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash britishhistory. You can also find us on Twitter. Just look for at britishpodcast. You can also join us on the forums. Just go to thebritishhistorypodcast.com, click get involved, and click forums. And don't forget, there's Viking stuff over on the member feed, so you really should go check it out. All right, thanks for listening. <laughs>